Hey there, my name is Fella Abioye, and this is How to Corporate, my digital show about how successful professionals navigate career moves and money matters. Today's topic, how to succeed in healthcare with my guest, Dr. Keisha Kelly. So welcome back, folks. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Going to get into a topic about healthcare, um, especially in today's world. The pandemic, healthcare is all around us. That's all we're talking about is people's health. And um, I think today is going to be a very special topic because we don't really talk or think about the business of healthcare and all the things that folks have to go through um, on that side of, of the world, right? I mean, if you work in a healthcare space, you probably do. And you probably know folks who work, you know, whether it be your local doctor or your nurse or whatever the case may be. But um, I think it's really cool to see what the perspective looks like from the business aspect of it. So got Dr. Kelly here as my guest. She's a senior vice president and chief nursing officer uh, with the hospital, has a ton of medical experience, has a really great background. And uh, just first and foremost, want to thank you, Dr. Kelly, for uh, joining me today here on the podcast. So thank you so much, first of all. Um, I guess kick it over to you for a second. Maybe you want to give a little bit about your background and before we kind of get into it. Okay. Um, well, um, and, and just to clarify, in my current role, and I, I am a chief nurse, but over a healthcare system. Healthcare um, system. So Let me make sure like, I educate myself. Got you. I got a bunch of hospitals. So we'll leave it at that. So, more, um, more than one. But nonetheless, <laughs> more than one. Yeah. Just, just for that perspective. Um, and, uh, but nonetheless, I've been a nurse. Um, for oh gosh almost 30 years i'm losing count it might be 29 and um but i started my career in the military um start, started as a commissioned officer in u.s army nurse corps and did that for a good six years and then i was in the pharmaceutical industry which i know that you have some questions about that so we'll get back to that but um mm-hmm. took a little break and uh got into the that industry but that industry is really what opened my eyes up to the business side of healthcare. So when I did get back into nursing and uh, was at the bedside and back into management pretty quickly, um, I decided that I needed a a business degree. So I went back and got a master's in business um, administration with a focus in healthcare management because I really felt like um, nursing, you know, after being away for eight years and being in a management role, I realized that there was so much accountability, not only to quality and patient safety, but that I was basically the CEO of that unit. And I wanted to have that degree to be able to do that. Um, so I got that degree and then I got that itch that, oh, I think maybe I want to be in the C-suite. And I decided to go back and get a doctor of nursing practice in executive leadership. So, um, so that's where the doctor comes from. But my focus is really more on the executive track. I didn't take a clinical track because I knew I wanted to be um, in the C-suite and be able to lead, you know, healthcare organizations one day. Um, and um, just kind of a, a glimpse of it, I, I'm double board certified. I'm certified as a nurse executive, um, board certified advanced, um, and also I'm a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. And I only bring those things forward because um, there was two reasons why. One was that I felt that um, if I was going to lead in this space, I needed to lead by example, by practicing at the top of my profession, but also to be double board certified, not only as a nurse executive, but as a healthcare executive. And I wanted to have the tools to be able to be successful in my role. So my career in, in general has, 
I've had a privilege of working in multiple healthcare settings, and most of my career has been in leadership. But I've worked in the for-profit healthcare system. I've worked in the Department of Defense, of course, being in the military. I've worked in a county healthcare system. I've worked in integrated, not-for-profit, uh, fee-for-service, Catholic organizations, um, integrated organizations such as Kaiser. So I have a very diverse healthcare background. So um, I, I have this gift of being exposed to um, not only different organizations, but different types of leadership styles that has really shaped me into the person that I am today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, now I, I really appreciate that. I mean, um, like you said, you've got an extensive background, uh, you know, with the education piece and administrative piece and the leadership piece. It's just, there's so many different elements that kind of go into it because like you said, for your, you know, layman's, I guess for like myself, when you think about healthcare, I mean, you just think about maybe just the medical side and the patient, you know, interaction side to it. But there's, you know, at the end of the day, you need all the elements, right, in order to have a, you know, well-run system, right, you know, so um, so that's really awesome. So I know you kind of mentioned it already, but you got your start, you know, in the military, right, and you did pharmaceutical sales, and then you went to nursing school. So just those three different areas seem to be so different, right, like what made you want to make that kind of a jump? Well, I actually went to nursing school first. So, um, okay. you know, um, I, that's where I got my undergraduate degree. My bachelor's is in nursing, mm. but I was in an Army ROTC nursing program at TCU. And so when you're in ROTC and they pay for you to go to school, you pay them back by serving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that gotcha. was my means of getting my education. Mm -hmm. um, and so and I, and I knew that I always I knew I always knew I wanted to help people. So that's how I ended up in nursing. It was and um, my father is uh, a retired Air Force veteran. And so I knew I wanted to serve my country. That was always what I wanted to do. So for me, it was the best of both worlds. I get to help people and I get to serve my country um, and be a commissioned officer and doing that. So that's how that happened. Gotcha. Um, the pharmaceutical um, uh, leap was an interesting one in that. Um, you know, I was I was a high achiever in the in, in the military. I was definitely in the top five percent as an officer. I worked for a general one of those years as a general's aide, which is like it's like the highest. It's just a, a prestigious role to have and was really destined. I was going to be a general one day. I mean, I was I was on that track. And I think if I'd still be in, I'd be a general. And I already know that. Um, but I burned out very early when you're an officer in the military. Um, and nursing, you're automatically put in charge. And so um, the long and short of it is that I burned up very quickly. At the age of 26, I was a captain and I had responsibility for um, two units um, that I was in charge of managing, but I was never really given the tools to be successful. And I didn't know that at the time, but I really felt that maybe I just wasn't cut out for it. And I burned out very quickly and I was married and ready to start my family. So Pfizer pharmaceutical industry was a way for me to pivot and stay in healthcare. And at that time, they were really looking for military people. So I put eight years in, in, in the industry. And, you know, and I realized I really didn't even like sales. I got laid off is what happened after eight years. Mm -hmm. um, and I got laid off, but you get these golden handcuffs because you're making good money. You got great stock options. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the long and short of it is that when I got laid off, it was great. It was fine because they, you know, I had a nice severance package and I had about a year to really figure out what it is I wanted to do. 
I tried to find my way back into sales and I realized I just didn't like it. I, I, didn't, I didn't even like selling world's finest chocolate. As a kid. <laughs> I was chocolate before I sell it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to ask anybody. So I don't even mm. really know how I landed in that space. But, mm. but I got back into nursing and got back into the bedside. And I thought, well, maybe if I just go back and not do the management thing, you know, I'm not in the military anymore. So nobody's going to put me in charge. So I can mm. just go and take care of patients and go home. So that's really what I wanted to do anyway. Well, I got back in, got back to the bedside after not practicing for eight years and had to renew my license um, in Texas. And I right off orientation in two weeks, they were asking me to be in charge um, and to, to, to run the shift. And it was a 12 hour shift and I didn't like the way it was being run. So I was like, well, if I can make this 12 hours go the way I want, you know, then I'll do it. And um, so I was in that bedside role for, I don't know, not even a year. And then I found myself back in management. And so really, for me, um, Phila, it was just that I just was leadership is just who I am. It's what I do. And it's where mm. I land. Mm. And I was trying to run away from it because I didn't feel like I could be successful at it. But when I got back into management and I worked for an organization that invested in leadership development and they invested in teaching me how to run a budget, you know, how to do my staffing, how to manage quality, manage people and learning about myself and having more self-awareness. It was after six months in that management role. I was like, I need to go back and get this business degree because I really felt like I needed that. So that's how I made that transition um, back in the healthcare. And then, and then everything just kind of took off after there to where I am now. So. Gotcha. No, that's, that, that's really awesome. I think um, it's something I I talked to folks all the time and it's not always just as important to know what you want to do versus knowing what you don't want to do right and so you had that experience in pharmaceutical sales and you, and you have that under your belt and you realize you know what this isn't for me and so instead of just kind of sticking it out and just figuring it out you know you made a slight pivot you know but you still you know maximize on your own opportunity your own capability as a leader and just really continue to grow so i think that's something to be said there just as people are always looking for ways to grow. Sometimes, you know, we think that "Eh, I got this job or I got this opportunity and I just got to do it because guess what? It's good money, like you mentioned, right? And that's just, you know, it's the the path forward, right? But, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, having happiness and maximizing your skills and that and a joy that can come out of that too. So, um, so, I mean, like I said, you've really kind of laid it out a little bit already, but you've been able to just really climb just the, the ranks and, and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit right around having um, opportunities that poured into you from a development perspective, you know, on mm-hmm. leadership wise. But how have you been able to just kind of climb the ranks of medicine? Did you always once you kind of got into the system, you got into that world, you knew, you know what, this is a path for this is where I want to be. I want to kind of be a manager or run a hospital system. And I'm just going to go at it or did you kind of figure it out along the way or just what did that look like for you as you were kind of trying to make that transition? Well, it's interesting that, as I mentioned earlier, when I said I was going to be a general, that means I was going to be the chief of the Army Nurse Corps. So my job was, I mean, my, my goal when I was a young 22 year old lieutenant was that I was going to run the entire Army nursing working force of the Army. Well, so go. I already had those aspirations um, mm-hmm. and and of course, you know, not feeling like I was being successful. I, I, and when I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for it. 
Um, but the itch just came. And, it, and what really happened was, you know, being out of healthcare, at least in the nursing realm of being in leadership, I lost eight years of my you know, of what could have been my trajectory. Mm -hmm. So there had been a lot of rapid movement because I was just making up for lost time. And so what was happening was, especially when I got that, when I got that business degree, you just, you start, you start growing, you start outgrowing your jobs mm -hmm. and your opportunities. And so mm -hmm. um, I remember being a manager and, um, and, 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 and I felt like it's not that I thought that I was great at it or I was perfect at it, but I felt like I could do more. I just felt like I could do more. Mm -hmm. And so I was fortunate in that moment to have been offered to move into a director's role. I didn't even have to seek that role because what happened was I was going to go to another organization, and be a director. And they say, well, we'll just we'll give it to you. We'll create the role for you if you'll stay here. Um, but it never happened after that point. Um, I, I, after I got the MBA, I think, oh, well, I'll be a chief nurse one day. And, um, and, and and so the long and short of it is that it, the, the climb has been fast, but it has not been easy. Gotcha. Um, it hasn't been easy for me. And so you would you probably <clears throat> saw on my LinkedIn profile. There's a lot of movement on my resume and all the movement is upwards. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as an African-American woman, I will have to tell you that a lot of that movement is because of the presence of a glass ceiling mm -hmm. that came mm -hmm. very quickly. And I learned very quickly that and what happened in one of my roles that I was I was positioned to be the next vice president. And when the vice president was promoted, instead of allowing me to apply for that position, they just eliminated the position. So there was no position for me to apply into. Wow. Um, and so I just left the organization and took on an assistant vice president role in another organization. And then I was in that organization and I was had just about to finish my doctorate. And, um, you know, and I was there for almost two years. And the, the associate assistant chief nursing officer would have been the next role for me. Mm -hmm. And they actually called me into the office and told me that they were promoting someone else into that role. And so I was never even given a chance to interview for the role. And they gave it to someone else who had just gotten her master's. And I had just gotten my doctorate, mind you. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I just pack <laughs> up all my little skills and I leave again. Yep, and yep. so and, and, and it had happened again. I got to Colorado, Colorado, and I was supposed to be the inner, I was an assistant chief nurse for two hospitals there. I was supposed to be the chief nurse of uh, one of the hospitals. I was going to be the interim. And the weekend before I was going to start, they said, we, we're not going to give it to you. We already promoted somebody else, but we need you to go over there and help them. Train them up for the, train them up for the job. So Here's what to get. Job. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so there was a lot of stomach punching mm -hmm. that happened. So mm -hmm. I went over there. I cried and mm -hmm. I went over there and I did a good job. Yep. But while when I went over there, I started applying for my next roles. Mm. And so that and so I finally crashed the ceiling and became a chief nurse. Mm. And so that's where I landed um, at that position out in Hawaii. Um, and so um, 
you know, it, it, it's it's like a, there's like a, a a really thick, almost like a plexiglass ceiling that yeah. gets crust to get into the C-suite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because with us, particularly with women of color, mm-hmm. they like to for us to all be right around here in these kind of director manager roles, but no mm-hmm. one wants to let us into the to the C-suite. Gotcha. And so what I learned in my military background helped me with that is that if I wanted to grow, I had to be willing to go. Mm. And so that's why you see Hawaii. Got you, got you. And now where I am now is that I, my husband and I just, you know, he's a Marine. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. we just used to move him like, okay, well, and, and, yep. and so I got into a position where I have a suitcase of, of skills and abilities and degrees mm. and certifications. And now I'm at a point now where I just offer, hey, if you want it, hey, I'm here. I can help you. Oh, yeah. not? okay. Well, let me pack it up. Let me go give it to somebody else who wants it. Mm. So, yeah, no, um, that's that. That's 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 awesome. I mean, you dropped a lot of, I think, key gems in there, and I, I don't want folks to miss that. You know, um, if you got to be willing to grow, you you have to go right. So, and I think that's real because you know a lot of times we get comfortable right in a situation where we're happy about what we're doing, we like the organization that we work for. But, you know, we all want more. We all aspire to have more. But, you know, sometimes you're in situations or you work for employers that promise you things or tell you that, hey, you know, you just do this and you'll get there or you do why and you'll get there. But it never happens. And it just keeps getting that can just that that carrot keeps just dangling and it keeps kicking that can down the road, down the road. And then sometimes folks just, you know, stick it out. Right. And so they almost get bogged down with the idea of like, oh, I'm going to have to start over and I, well, I've got to go to a new place. And I don't know anybody there. Or maybe I got to learn new systems or a new skill set. And I don't really want to go through all of that. And so but like you mentioned, you 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 had a goal in mind. You saw, you know, where your capabilities could take yourself. And, you know, you went there until you reached it. And so, um, again, I think that's really inspiring, honestly, to, to see, because, you know, I, I, I don't I know plenty of people who work in healthcare, you know, systems, but I personally don't know anybody who's at the executive level at all. So, and like you mentioned, right, because there's so few, it's like somebody's got to, somebody's got to be the one to break the glass ceiling. And so um, I think it's awesome that you were able to kind of create that path. So, you know, so that kind of leads me then to one of my questions here is around, you know, politics, like how did, I mean, clearly, I mean, to me, politics clearly plays a role in everything. I don't care where you work, I don't care what you do. Politics is always a thing. As long as you work with people and people are going to people and politics is always going to play a, a factor there. But I guess from your perspective, from your background, like how did office politics maybe either help you advance or maybe not so much? And how do you think that that kind of played a factor? Well, you know, a lot of what's happened to me and not happened or what has happened in my career, a lot of it has been politics and, mm. and, and, and I, and I've learned, um, and, you know, a, a lot of the, and, and really, unfortunately, by getting punched in the stomach a few times and realizing that, you know, a lot of the missed opportunities for me were not necessarily because of my ability to do the job, but it's mm. because it was always somebody wanting to take care of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and really doing that. So, you know, for me, I, you know, it, for first of all, I'm very private um, at work. You know, I mean, there there are some very surface things that I'll talk about mm-hmm. in my personal life. Um, yep. You know, 
know, like fitness. And I may talk about the fact that I have husband and kids, but I unfortunately had to start keeping people at kind of an arm's distance. I mean, you know, I have an ability to connect and be compassionate with people, but still not be very private because unfortunately I learned that a lot of times that was, it was used against me um, mm, gotcha. in some way. Um, mm. So I, I got very private, but uh, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, but I also understand the importance of relationships. And so what I would try to do in building those relationships is trying to understand and get to know people um, and hear about their stories and connecting with people through stories. Why did you get into healthcare? What drives you? Mm-hmm. And and for me, a lot of my politics was in how can I how can I partner if if it was one of my direct reports or somebody on my team, yep. how can I have yep. to be successful? If it's a colleague of mine, it's how can I partner with you so that we can be successful as a team? Mm-hmm. Or if it's one of my if it's my boss, it's what do you need from me to help us in this organization be successful and really positioning myself that way. And that's really how I did my politics um, there. I really personally, you know, I'm not going out to play golf. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing happy hour. I don't really, I mean, I'll do it when it's yeah. required. I get but, you. I just, you know, I used to do that when I was a big farmer. I felt like I needed to be at the bar hanging out with the district manager mm-hmm. if I really wanted them to like me and give me the opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I learned mm-hmm. that it really doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. So I, I focus on doing my job and and making sure that, um, you know, putting boundaries around my time and yep. making sure that I'm not going to break my back trying to make you like me. Either you like what I have to offer mm-hmm. you know, and and or, or you just do don't. And then I just pack my suitcase up and I go and I give my skills and my talents to someone else. And that's that's been a journey. And it may sound a little bitter in a way, but I, I have a way of being able to do it and connect with people and make them feel valued. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm all about wanting to help people be successful. I have a track record of mentoring a lot of leaders mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. particularly people who look like me. I will send that ladder down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's well said. So, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we feel pressure, right, to fit in, right? Or if we're looking for that next opportunity and, you know, you know that maybe you're, you know, um, you know, you do your job well, you know, you come to work, you work hard, but maybe the favoritism piece, right? You worry about, okay, am I going to get overlooked just because of favoritism? And, you know, sometimes people start to do things that, are not natural to themselves or aren't authentic to them, you know, just for the sake of, you know, kind of fitting in. Right. So, um, but I think it's something to be said to, that you are able to stay true to yourself, still show your worth. Right. And people will be able to recognize that. Right. And still get to where you you wanted to be. So, um, so I think that's, that, that's awesome as well. So, you know, and um, so to my next question around education, right. I mean, you know, it only makes sense, right? If you work in the medical field, there's a strong emphasis on education, right? There's no doubt about it. You have a, you know, you got your bachelor's, you know, you have an MBA, you have a doctorate in nursing, so it only makes sense. But um, for you, was that always a qualifier, you know, for the sake of advancement? You know, was that used maybe against you, right, in the past to say that, oh, well, you know, you don't have a master's or you don't have a doctorate, so you're not even you're ready for uh, a C-suite type role or how was that played out, I guess, in your career over time? 
Well, you'll, you'll find that. Um, and, and so I'll tell you the, the, the other reason why I got my MBA is because I think I cued into something very quickly. Okay. And that was that it was going to be the differentiator between me and my next opportunity. Mm. I knew it. And so when I got that MBA, <laughs> you know, because because what ended up happening, it was like, well, we have all these CNOs, chief nursing officers in mm-hmm. this system I was in that have master's degree. Mm-hmm. So then I go when I tell my boss I'd like to be a CNO one day and I get told I need to have a doctorate. You know, need not apply. Mm-hmm. So I could already see very early on that there were going to be conditions placed on me mm-hmm. that were going to be very different from others. Mm-hmm. And of course, as that example I told you about me getting my doctorate and a person just barely getting their master's degree yeah. and yeah. getting promoted ahead of me. Yeah. Um, and so I have a term that I, when I mentor people, being it, there's this thing about being undeniably qualified. And I said, no one's ever going to tell me to go back to school ever again. You're not going to tell me to go back and get a certification. Mm-hmm. So when I bring all those things to you and I bring experience and you don't hire me, yep. it's just because you don't see me as a fit for your organization mm-hmm. or I'm a threat. Mm-hmm. I'm a threat. And and one thing I want to point out, and you'll see this, there are there are a lot of women of color that are in healthcare, mm-hmm. and there are some that are in that have achieved, you know, kind of the level where I am, and there are some that are chief nurses. Yep. You'll yep. find that there are a lot of African American women in healthcare. There, and when you look after their names, they have about probably thirty to forty letters after their names. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. You know, and I've got a bunch of mine too, but I yeah. shrunk it down. I'm kind of like a less is better. <laughs> yeah, you, you got half the alphabet instead of the full alphabet. So I got yeah. you. <laughs> it was all fun at first, and then it looks yeah. like, it looks like I'm trying to prove something. But <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of women who are highly stacked. I'm mm-hmm. talking three and four degrees, multiple multiple certifications, mm-hmm. and they're sitting in these mid management roles. They are stuck, mm-hmm. and they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so they're out there and they value the education, but there's also a piece of it that education is important. But as you mentioned earlier, we get very comfortable in the organizations that we're in, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. steady paycheck, familiarity yep. you know, with the systems and everything. And we don't want to take those risks. Mm-hmm. So we sit around in these organizations and we sit and we hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of women that I have encountered, I was mentoring one for over a year. And she should be a CNO one day, but mm-hmm. just afraid to make that leap. Um, so education is, is, is very important. But I also know that, um, you know, I've been beat up for some opportunities for people who have less education than me. Thank you know, and we've kind of talked a little bit about it. Right. But, you know, medicine is, you know, viewed as a noble profession. Right. And it is, you know, for sure. But there's definitely a business aspect of it, right? Just like any operation. How has that played out just from your perspective, especially being in a senior, you know, uh, level role? And, you know, is there some type of expectation on number of beds filled or number of patients one has to see? Is there any kind of like overlaying pressure that you kind of see, have seen in your past experiences, you know, just working in this, this system? Well, let me um, kind of provide some context there. So, first of all, you know, the business of healthcare is not a business that's it's not a profitable business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we so so therefore, 
Um, it just isn't. And and yeah. I think you probably already know that. Um, yeah, even though sure. we do have for-profit healthcare systems yes. that um, do strive for these margins because mm-hmm. they've got stockholders to answer to mm-hmm. and haven't worked as a leader and as a staff member, it is, they will squeeze blood out of a turnip to be able to answer their, their um, shareholders. Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. and it, so it's not a fun place to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, if, when you're looking at hospitals, once upon a time, it was about lots of emergency room visits and mm-hmm. lots of patients in the bed. And, and it's great if you have a great census, but really what's more important, Phila, is it's your pair mix. Mm-hmm. It's all about that pair mix. So let's just say if you've got a hospital that's a 200-bed hospital and they run about 90% capacity every day, you may think, oh, wow, great. They, you know, we got lots of patients. We're taking care of the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if your paramix is where you've got 65% of that, your, of your revenue is Medicaid. Yep. And then, you know, and then you got 15% that's, that's, uh, self-pay and self-pay mm-hmm. in healthcare is no pay. That means yeah. I don't have the money. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to write that off. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that other small margin that you're, where you make your money off is in managed care. Mm-hmm. So what I say is that in terms of healthcare is that, you know, we, we can't control who comes into our doors. Yep. We have an obligation to take care of them, mm-hmm. um, whoever comes through our emergency departments. Um, but, you know, we have strategies on how we try to tap into different markets to mm-hmm. better diversify our payment portfolio. So so but and so those are the things that we have some control over, but not a lot. So what are the things that we do try to control, which helps to keep us viable? Well, you'll hear that labor is about 60 percent of it's the most controllable line item on any budget, and it's and it's the most expensive and it's the most controllable. Makes so sense. probably one of the most important things we do is around managing our labor and making sure that we have the right amount of staff for the right amount of volume that we have. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the paid practice and stuff as well, too. So that's one piece of it. Then there's also the supplies and expenses. So your supplies... You know, and so if your volume is up, you would expect your supply expenses to be up. But if your volume is down, your supply expenses are high, then something's going on. You probably don't have good contracts in place. So you start making sure you're managing your contracts. So um, and then you have this other piece around how you're managing your physician contracts as well, too. And do you have, um, you know, when you're managing your physician contracts, um, you know, to have the right business coming into your hospital? Are they being productive? Are they, gen- so there's a lot of pieces. And, and, and even though I'm in a system chief nursing officer role now, mm-hmm. my previous role was as a chief operating officer and a chief nurse. Yes. So I managed the day-to-day operations of two hospitals in a city mm-hmm. prior to moving into this role. So very much as a chief operating officer, my job is to operationalize the strategic plan, but also to control expenses in a hospital. Um, and so that's what I did. So it's 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 very complex. And and now we're in a period of time because COVID has really impacted healthcare. A lot of people, when they lost their jobs, they lost their insurance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, but you still got to take care of your patients and the people that are in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw a major shift in um, our, our payer mixes in these hospitals. So people mm-hmm. who were normally came in and they had Blue Cross Blue Shield, yep. they'd come in my door as self-pay mm-hmm. or as Medicaid or Medi-Cal. And when I was in California, you, at best you're gonna get 10 cents on a dollar. Mm-hmm. At best, 
Really? When you get Medicare, you may get 75 to 80%, just depending on your contracts on oh, that dollar. Wow. So, um, but we're faced with those um, those things now. So, so really in healthcare, it's not really just about hospitals. It's about that mm-hmm. full continuum of care. We need to be managing the diabetes and heart disease and high blood pressure and all mm-hmm. these things. They need to be managed in the outpatient setting. So these patients don't land in our hospitals. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. and, and so there have to be more. You hear about preventative care yep. and all that. But we really have to do better about that. And, and, and hospitals are now considered that they should be a last destination mm-hmm. place for you to go. If you're landing in a hospital, you got to be pretty sick. And now we're seeing that now because COVID happened. People yep. delayed their health. They delayed going to the doctor. Mm-hmm. So people were coming to the hospitals and not only sicker, but I hate to use the term, they're a little more broke than they were before. Mm-hmm. So the cost of their care is higher and they don't have the insurance coverage that they had before. Yep. And so the hospital, well, we got to take care of them. So we still got to pay for that. So it is, I can talk all day about that. We're going to stop right there. Yeah, no, 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 that's it. No, it's, it's, it's good context though, because, you know, we don't we don't always think about this. Right. I mean, you know, people just I don't know if it's just society or what it is. But, you know, we, we, we go to the hospital, we go to the doctor and we just expect to get taken care of. And we don't know, we don't always think about all the inner workings, the business of how it all operates, how this system works in order to be successful. And the pressure is honestly that you guys have to face constantly day in and day out in order to do your job, you know. And so, um, you know, it's. It's a it's a beast, so to say the least. But um, you know, like I said, that kind of brings me to my other point about you know COVID and the pandemic. I mean, this has been unprecedented, you know, year and a half, right? So something that I don't think any of us have ever lived through, and hopefully none of us will ever live through again once we finally get past it. So you know, your world has clearly been upside down, right, through all of this. So I guess I'm wondering, just from your eyes, your perspective. You know, what's maybe some of the most significant changes or how have things evolved from a pre-pandemic to post-pandemic world, you know, in, you know, the hospital system? Well, I think that one of the one of the biggest things we saw in, in healthcare that changed as a result of COVID was, you know, you hear about visual, uh, telemedicine and video visits and phone visits. And, you know, everybody wanted to be in a doctor's office. Everybody wanted to be in a hospital to be seen. But of course, and, and so there were all these virtual healthcare platforms that were out there. And some of them were catching on and some of them weren't. And people were like, yeah, no, I need to be in the room. Kind of like before online learning, everybody need to be in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. Both of my degrees, my EMP and my doc and my MBA, they're 100% online. Mm. And so, so the whole point is that what we saw happen is a major shift to virtual healthcare. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing. So we saw our, our emergency room volumes plummeted by like 30, 40, 50 percent. If we were mm-hmm. seeing 100 patients on any given day, emergency rooms across the country were only seeing about 50. Why is that? Because people realize, OK, first, maybe I'm not really that sick. Right. That was the one thing. But the second thing was they could actually do a virtual visit with their doctor. Um, so we so we so that was one of the big changes that we saw in healthcare is that the things that we couldn't get our arms wrapped around, the pandemic forced us there. And so there's this term one of my colleagues uses, and it's called a crisis is the mother of innovation. 
crisis is the mother of innovation. Mm. And in, in, in times of crisis, people start innovating real quickly. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. And for so sure. that was probably one of the bigger things that I saw that that we that changed. And it was for good. I can tell you, yeah. I was a, I was a member of Kaiser, even though I used to work for them. But, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, I never got COVID. I was blessed. My husband never did. But mm-hmm. I didn't go into the hospital. I just I set up a phone visit with my doctor and I said, hey, these are my symptoms. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a prescription for me. And then I got to pull up into the pharmacy and send somebody in to get my <laughs> drugs and come out, you know. And, yep. and so, so that's what how, that, that was a big change. It was and it needed to happen. We needed all the people in the hospitals. They needed mm-hmm. to be at home anyway. Thousand percent agree with you there. And as I kind of bring this whole thing to a close, um, you know, for anybody out there listening that are watching and they want to, you know, take your path and they want to be able to move up in the ranks and, and, you know, on the administrative side or the business side of healthcare, you know, any recommendations or tips that you've had? I mean, you've already given a lot already, but maybe just any kind of closing tips, you know, for folks to kind of take away from here. I mean, I think that what I would say for anyone listening is that, you know, just don't be afraid to, for, of change. You know, and I think that um, that would be the one thing I would say. I mean, certainly, you know, education is important if you're in a profession that requires a certification. I still do believe in not it's not about having the letters, but it's about having a portfolio that demonstrates your commitment to your profession, whatever that profession is. I would say that. But I would also I said it earlier, if you want to grow, sometimes you have to be able to go. Don't get stuck and be comfortable and complacent. Um, the moment that you see the glass ceiling and, and when we see it, we just sit around and we talk about it. We don't do anything about it. Mm. It's, that it's OK. That we have to start seeing ourselves as someone that has something to offer an organization. It's not about what they can do for you mm. is what can you do for them? And if they don't want your skills and your talent and if they don't want it, pack it up and go somewhere else. There is someone else out there. Mm. Who will appreciate what you have? And my last point would just be to be authentic and and be yourself. Um, somebody will will buy what you're selling. You don't have to change who you are or how you show up for somebody to buy it. And um, and be unapologetically bold and confident in who you are, and don't minimize yourselves to make other people feel comfortable. Awesome, awesome, man. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. You've uh, hit a lot here. Um, I really hope folks that are listening, especially working in the healthcare space, feel inspired by this because um, this is the kind of stuff that people need to hear. We don't always have people like yourself to, as you know, simple interactions with to kind of have someone encourage you or have somebody who's done the job or who've had and laid down the path and to say, you know what, she's done it. Why can't I do it? Right. So it's that's why this you know, platform for me is so important to be able to put voices like yourselves, you know, here in order to get that out to the masses. So um, so thank you so much. Um, really love all of this. So, um, again, closing out here, um, is there anything that you want to share about yourself or, you know, or if folks want to reach out or anything else like that? It's up to you. Well, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, so um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I probably do more lurking and looking and liking. Um, <laughs> I do post every once in a while. Um, yep. So, I mean, I welcome people to, you know, if they want to learn more about me, um, you know, that's that's a place to go. And I'm pretty responsive to inbox messaging. 
as well too. I don't I'm not I don't have anything else to sell. I don't have a business or anything. I'm in I'm in the business of promoting myself. Hey, <laughs> that's hey. about it. There you go. Um, um, <laughs> happy to connect on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dr. Kelly. Appreciate it. All right. Bring this thing to a wrap. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Tune in next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. For more content, please click the subscribe button and follow us on all social media platforms at How to Corporate. Until next time, keep building.